And I think increasingly, when we talk about workplaces, um, part of the higher purpose focus is how workplaces are engaged in the community. Because increasingly, particularly millennials and now Gen Zs coming into the workplace, they, they gravitate to companies that have that connection. They want a, a higher purpose. They want a deeper meaning. They want, to make, they want to be part of something special and an organization that's making a difference, whether it's in their community or on the planet. The human experience is the greatest project any of us will undertake, yet it's often the one we spend the least amount of time working on. My name is Matt Johnston. I'm a self-professed personal development junkie, a retired pro golfer, and I now work for an organization that provides employee and health benefits to hundreds of thousands of people. It should be common sense to realize that what happens at work is what people bring home and what happens at home comes to them to work, but that's too often ignored. That's why each week, I hope to uncover a little more around what it means to be a human, working and living in the 21st century. We'll be learning from experts, having conversations and getting insights into all those things that fall at the intersection of life and work, emotional and physical health, skills and money, all of the relationships we navigate each day, and of course, the purpose and meaning we all desire. This is The Human Assignment. Hello and welcome to the first episode of this podcast. I'm really excited about the interviews and episodes ahead, but I couldn't think of a better place to start than sitting down with Dave Angus. Dave is the president of Johnston Group, one of Canada's leading group benefits providers. And prior to Johnston Group, he spent 17 years as the president and CEO of the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce, where he also served as the president of the Chamber of Commerce Executives of Canada and as the Canadian representative on the board of directors of the American Chamber of Commerce Executives. Going through Dave's bio is quite frankly exhausting because the list of organizations, government, nonprofit, for-profit that he supports and has supported is just extraordinary. Dave has a tremendous amount of experience, but what I really wanted to dig into in this interview were his thoughts around the topic of leadership and what he sees the organizations of the future looking like. Dave has become a really good friend of mine, a mentor, and and actually my boss as the president of Johnston Group. So I get to watch him firsthand each day in action. And he really is one of those special people and a one-of-a-kind leader. It doesn't matter where you go and who you talk to, when you bring up the name Dave Angus, there's just overwhelming praise for, for what a nice man he is, but also what an inspiring leader he is. As you'll hear in this podcast, he's totally devoted to his community. He's beyond passionate about the topic of developing young leaders, and he has some really interesting ideas on the responsibility businesses have to their employees and their community. So please enjoy the inspirational Dave Angus. Well, Matt, it's a pleasure to be on. So thank you for inviting me to be, be your very first guest. This might be the show that ends the rest of the shows, but we'll see how it goes. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for being here. My thought for today is that we could focus on um, business, uh, the changing landscape of, of business, leadership, um, and of course, sort of what it means to be a human in the 21st century, someone that wants to make an impact at work, um, have meaningful relationships at work and at home, um, make an impact on the community. But I was I was thinking that we could start uh, before we dig into your background and your experience uh, with uh, getting you to explain this notebook that you have in front of us <laughs> here, um, because uh, I've been in your office and there might be eighty 
copies of this exact same notebook and you're always writing in this and every time I see you give a speech you're you're giving a speech out of it so the front of this notebook there's all sorts of things written um where where did this thing come from and why why have you bought the uh, global supply of this particular well, I, I was in Washington actually on a uh, it was a trade mission actually in Washington and I saw this book in a bookstore and we at the chamber started this bold initiative and so everything was about being bold and bold ideas and how do we how do we uh, activate those ideas for Winnipeg and um, <clears throat> and I saw you know be bold is the first statement on this book but as I took a look at it there were just all these great statements about exceeding your expectations and don't take no for an answer etc that I thought would inspire me so I bought this book in in Washington and I, and then I ran out of the book so I hunted down the manufacturer and I ordered 10 more books for the manufacturer coming from the U.S., somewhere down in southern states. And then I was walking through chapters, and there was the book. Same price, Canadian. So I've been <laughs> buying the book from chapters here locally for, for a number of years. The last time I went, they were out. So now I have to pivot to a new book. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. But it's definitely a book that has, uh, has kind of helped inspire me. But it all really started with the bold initiative we did at the Winnipeg Chamber. I love it. Every time I... Every time I uh uh, see the cover of that book that just kind of represents Dave Angus to me. <laughs> <laughs> Confusing and a lot of words. Is that what it is? That too. That okay. too. Yeah. No, no. Bold, inspiring. I just, I, 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 I love that. Good. Um, so Dave, you are now the president of Johnston Group. Um, I, I, this is actually more for, for my benefit. Um, what does Johnston Group do? I've been trying to figure this out for 35 <laughs> years now. <laughs> Johnston Group is in the group benefits business. We look after employees, really, and help entrepreneurs look after their employees by providing group benefits, whether it's insured products, whether it's uh, covering uh, health and dental costs, uh, whether it's uh, wellness-type um, coverage. It's, uh, it is it a very important factor that employers need to have in order to attract people and keep people is um, having access to those kinds of resources through their employment benefit program. So we uh, started back 35 years ago with a, a gentleman you may know, Dave Johnson, and his father, Art, uh, and started uh, really in a way, and this is one of the reasons why I'm with Johnson Group, is because I have so much respect for how it started. It started with a higher purpose. They looked around and saw that small business just didn't have access to group benefits and couldn't compete against larger companies that did. And so they were on a mission to be able to provide group benefits, and they looked across the country and said, boy, if we can get small businesses working together to create a pool uh, upon which we can build a group benefit program where they can have the same benefits and offer the same benefits that larger companies can, then they would be able to compete in the marketplace. And what I've also respected is we sustained that passion through the years. Like our average group size is less than five. So we help the smallest of the small companies across Canada from coast to coast, because uh, we're a national company, uh, compete because we uh, provide great group benefits um, for their employees. So I've, I've always had a huge respect for how the company started and the discipline that they had to maintain that purpose throughout the years. So we're very proud of that legacy. I, um, I want to dig more into, uh, into uh, the work you're doing there and um, uh, maybe the future direction of the company uh, throughout the, uh, the chat. Um, but prior to Johnson Group, you were with the Winnipeg Chamber for 17 years. 
Yep. Um, it was a five-year gig that turned into 17. <laughs> somehow. So I, I'm, I'm curious... Tell me uh, more about the how you got to the chamber. Where did you where did you come from? What was your where did you come from before the? I know you were part of a family business before the chamber, but uh, yeah. and everything I've done has been been by accident. <clears throat> I just kind of fell into it. Uh, I I'm really a go with the wind kind of guy, and uh, as things kind of open up, and in the chamber, like I worked in a family business, I, I actually two different family businesses. I worked with for my uncle in one. And uh, my father and mother, we both, we all three of us started a business. Both of those started in a basement in Transcona. Just want to know, just want all great companies start in a basement in Transcona. <laughs> so I had that sort of family experience. It was a very typical Winnipeg company experience in terms of family businesses, and you would know. Um, and then I, I had some other. I worked in the publishing business um, and the computer business. So I had multiple jobs, and I was kind of a five-year kind of guy. Uh, and then the, I got involved with the chamber. And, um, you know, it's funny how I got involved because I was working with the family business and we were looking to actually um, expand. And I had trouble with the city trying to get a variance for a piece of land we were looking at. And any, anybody I talked to at the city just didn't understand what I was trying to do as a business. And I phoned the chamber. And uh, finally, I found somebody that actually understood. And so I got involved in the chamber. Uh, and then I became the chair of the chamber in 96, 97. And then uh, Shelley Morris, my predecessor, left and a position opened up and I was approached to apply and got the job. And again, I was expecting five years and then move on to something else. But it is just the, um, there are just so many new projects that came along that kept me interested for 17 years. And uh, finally, they got rid of me. And then I landed in Johnson Group. <laughs> and here we are today. I, I'm so I'm fascinated by the work of the chamber, and I and I really didn't didn't fully under I still don't fully understand, but I didn't understand it until until a couple of years ago, really until meeting you. Can you talk a little more about what what is the Chamber of Commerce and um, what sure. you did there? Well, Chamber is a uh, it's a business organization, membership driven organization. Uh, doesn't take government money, or at least it shouldn't. Uh, so it's all strictly privately funded. Um, and they represent business along a number of different things. First of all, they are the voice of business. Um, they need to collectively articulate what businesses need in order to be successful. And so they lobby government, but they also lobby business to do some things as well. So the advocacy piece is a very important part of what chambers do. Um, the other piece is uh, member business programs. Chamber plan is the most successful. That's what Johnson Group administers for chambers, 850 across the country is the most successful program, but there's a number of programs that chambers offer their members in order to make them more competitive and more successful. Um, and then, you know, the other big piece, and this was the learning that I had. So I went in, I thought it was all about businesses. But the reality is that successful businesses have to operate in a successful community. If it's an unhealthy community and an unhealthy ecosystem, uh, businesses will not thrive. They need each other. And so chambers also advocate in terms of community issues, poverty, uh, indigenous employment, uh, housing, things that are critical to a thriving community also needs that business voice and business involvement when it comes to community initiatives and other things. I talked about the Bold Initiative, which was really um, sort of a platform for new ideas. And the ideas came in. It wasn't just business ideas. It was ideas throughout the community in terms of how we make the community better. 
And so uh, the big um, learning I had is that chambers need to play a role in terms of being a community advocate as well. And some of my greatest relationships were with the community itself. And so, uh, so that's kind of what chambers do. And I think they're very important to business, but I think they're very important to the communities they represent. The, that idea of community, I, one, of the, one of the many reasons I wanted to talk to you, um, but just excited to dig, dig further in, was this, um, I'm just so inspired by your, um, this, you, you just seem to have such a healthy relationship on like the three, the three areas that I think are so important, family, business, and community. And the things you do in the community, I like just going through your bio ahead of time, looking at the, all that you do and have done in the community. It's, it's, uh, it's exhausting actually. To, <laughs> <laughs> um, can you speak a little more about that, that importance of community focus? I think that we all get so, you know, caught up in, you know, what we're trying to build for ourselves, taking care of our family that like this idea of, um, supporting the ecosystem around you. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I find that we have a culture here in Winnipeg, uh, that is community focused. It's easier to get involved in the community here in Winnipeg. Uh, and so it was easy for me. And one of the, the values that come out of getting involved in community is not only the relationships that you build, but it's actually how you learn about your city. Um, my education over 17 years at the Chamber has been about learning more about my city. And the more I learned about Winnipeg, the more I loved it. And um, so I, I learned it through interactions and relationships I had with different community organizations and efforts that were happening. It made me a better person. It changed the way I viewed my role uh, as an individual and a citizen within Winnipeg and what, what I needed to do in terms of supporting uh, my fellow Winnipeggers in this city, as I would hope they would support me. <clears throat> so my involvement... Um, was pretty broad. I got involved in a number of different areas, but it was only because I saw the importance of each of those areas to the overall uh, impetus of, of building a great city. So uh, for me, it was very fulfilling and continues to be very fulfilling. And I think increasingly, when we talk about workplaces, um, part of the higher purpose focus is how workplaces are engaged in the community, because increasingly, particularly millennials and now Gen Zs coming into the workplace, they, they gravitate to companies that have that connection. They want a, a higher purpose. They want a deeper meaning. They want, to make, they want to be part of something special and an organization that's making a difference, whether it's in their community or on the planet. And so uh, this is going to be increasingly important for companies to embrace in terms of how they actually demonstrate contribution back to community. Th that last piece, I, I mean, I just... Uh, makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. You know, that's, I so believe in that. And, um, and I think that, uh, just in talking to you over the last few years, your time at the chamber, you, I'm, you've had the ability to see or had access to see so many different kinds of businesses. And, and then obviously over, over 17 years, um, in the organization, pr probably trends within the business community. Um, can you speak to some of those trends and um, um, obviously the demands on business, but um, yeah, well, I think one of the um, one of the trends that I've seen is kind of the speed of change, uh, and I, I do have the context of seventeen years, and it 
when I started, I, I, you know, change was happening, but it took a long time for it to actually take hold. And so businesses had time to pivot. They had time to adjust to it. Uh, in today's world, change is happening so fast um, that it's, it can be scary for business, right? In terms of how technology is changing, how consumer trends are changing, how consumer trends are actually leading business trends. Um, and how in today's world, as a business, and I would say as Johnson Group, when we're developing technologies and uh, looking at how we're engaging with customers, they're going to gauge us on a user experience, not user experience for group benefits. It's user experience for, that they get with Amazon or with other right. types of platforms that they use as consumers will now be the benchmark. So it's these kinds of things that are happening and how global we're be, increasingly global we're becoming. And who knows what competitor is going to be on the block um, uh, next week that is going to have an impact on our business. So it's the speed of change that I find is, is the big trend. And that's why I think more and more businesses need to be more nimble. And um, so that's definitely one trend that I've seen. And the other trend, and we talked about it before, is around the purpose. And so, and I'm seeing that. And what's driving that really is is, is the next generation. And I remember uh, back 17 years ago, uh, where millennials were coming into the workplace, um, there was mass confusion within board tables around corporate Winnipeg about how do we deal with these aliens, right? Uh, how can we change them to become what they need to be? And what has changed is the fact that businesses realized that it's not the millennials that need to change, it's the businesses that need to change and find ways to reorganize their workplace and their jobs and the culture in order to get the most out of those millennials because they have a lot to give. And so businesses need to kind of get that. So I saw that kind of trend also change. Uh, so there's a lot of things that have happened in my tenure over at, at the chamber. Um, but some of those things can be looked at as negative, but they're all really, really positive in terms of uh, us moving forward. But I'm very focused right now on the purpose side of things for businesses. I, you know, I, I, I um, noted before we started that the, I think it was, it might have been the second week that I got to know you. Uh, you gave me a book recommendation called The Purpose Economy. Yeah. Um, and we talk about purpose all the time. So can you... Talk a little more about that, both, I guess, in terms of, because we talk about it in terms of the importance of purpose in, in business, but also the connection with individual purpose. Well, and those two come together. And that, that's what businesses need to recognize. And that's why I'm so enthusiastic about, about your, your focus in terms of, of the human connection within, within the business community, is that um, when you look at, you know, just from a business imperative perspective, like I think this is going to be the big differentiator for companies going forward in terms of how they connect to a higher purpose and a mission. Because the data will tell you that the next generation uh, is going to gravitate to companies that demonstrate a connection to higher purpose. They want to be part of uh, companies that make a difference. Um, but they also want companies to provide opportunities for, uh, for them to make a difference too. So the personal connection to making a difference and allowing them to get involved in community, get involved in causes, um, and, and, and not be separate, but be part of the business imperative and be, and be supported by the company. And so the ability for companies to be able to attract talent and keep talent, 
I think one of the big drivers is going to be how they connect and commit to a higher purpose. But it's also filtering out into the consumer market. Consumers are choosing to work with companies that align with their values, right? So even from a business perspective, and the data will tell you that increasingly when they poll customers, they will, uh, how a company treats the environment, how the, how the company uh, is ethical, all of these things are leading to uh, consumer behavior. And so that's part of the business imperative. And even on investors, investors are now increasingly placing their money with ethical companies, with companies that, that show leadership on the environment. Uh, and so those pieces. But imagine what's possible, Matt. If companies increasingly commit to purpose, imagine how the world can change. Because the workplace can be a very powerful platform for individuals to really make a difference. And if, if these companies can help to mobilize and bring resources to bear in order to, to pursue those kinds of purposes and empower their people to do that, um, a lot of the issues that we're facing today can best be addressed through that kind of mentality going forward. So that's why I'm very hopeful because I'm seeing this trend and I'm seeing companies go and I'm very committed to the workplace being a real platform for change and uh, led by the individuals and the humans that are part of it. And so uh, it's an exciting time. I get, I, I get like that gets me so excited. I mean, you know, this is uh, made my day. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, the day's early. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> I won't be in this afternoon. <laughs> um, as you're saying that though, the thing the thing that's coming that that just keeps coming to mind is the is the pressure on leaders to you know as you, you talked about the changing landscape of business, things are moving faster than ever, and then you've got this this purpose thing and and connecting with that. I you are uh, no matter where I go and bring up your name, it's just people have just glowing reviews of how they've their interaction with you having worked with you, you should spend more time you. with my family get the other the opposing view i'm sure I've, I've, I've had some good texts from your family actually <laughs> leading into this and and i've and i get the opportunity to to um be led uh by you at, at johnston group and see you in different settings you're I and mean, you just like you you just you are you breathe. You're just the embodiment of of the leader that you just described to sort of undertake that kind of change. Um, did you like how how did how did Dave become Dave, and how do you become a leader to to be that change that you're talking about? Uh, I tell you, one of the gifts that I was given at the chamber was an opportunity to bring uh, good people around me. I I have one skill, Matt. And I will say this is a skill, is that I can bring good people around me. Um, and that has been so critical in the chamber. And so I have had moments of inspiration by just being associated with people and observing how they do things. And that was really the biggest gift I got through my work at the chamber, is I had that ability to be able to associate myself with people that really inspired me. And so I am the product of that experience of people here in Winnipeg particularly that I've been associated with that have really uh, sort of uh, developed my thinking in a way in terms of how I view the world. And so I'm, the, I'm a product of this city, I'll, I'll be the first to say, and I'm very proud of that. 
And because there's some just some great leaders that we have here in Winnipeg, and many many of them are understated. The ones that I I I really appreciated the most were the ones that nobody knew about. These 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 heroes that are working in a social setting in particular, they're doing unbelievable work that uh, nobody knows about, but they're just showing such great leadership uh, in Winnipeg. So that's how Dave became Dave. It's because of association with others that I learned from, uh, but also and particularly inspired by here in Winnipeg. So I'm 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 I, I have this 30 year old at a at a workplace in mind who may not be in a position of leadership. I might not have the title of a leader within an organization, um, but I'm curious as to how how you would empower that individual to. Um, uh, to either step up for the change they want to see within an organization, um, uh, advocate for the change they want to see in their organization, and and I guess at the end of the day, connect their purpose to the higher purpose of the organization. Well, <clears throat> yeah, I think that that's a struggle sometimes um, to be in that position, but I think more. Uh, than anything else, and it kind of goes back to uh, some previous discussion around how important the, the sort of the cross mentorship piece. The reality is, great leaders live in the future. What companies require now are people that really know where things are headed, that could be advocates for higher purpose and what it means to the company, that can look at changes within the workplace and be able to uh, start to mobilize support around some of those notions uh, within the staff itself. I'd have discussions with your senior managers about that because uh, senior managers need that. Uh, sometimes senior managers in organizations can get really stuck in the existing paradigm uh, and they know things are changing around them. But to have a young 30-year-old that can advocate on behalf of their demographic in terms of things that are going to be required going forward, even as an employer, uh, that's a huge asset for any company to have. So it does go back to communication, but it also does go back to um, feeling comfortable and advocating for the things that you and others of your demographic require within the organization. Because uh, uh, senior managers will view that in a very positive way, I believe, and will be, um, you know, sort of looked at as wanting to further empower that individual within the company as a, as a way to kind of advance through your career journey. So, mm. so I, um, I think that leads well to a, to a question. I actually, your, your son texted me that he was, that he was wanting to get answered. Um, you, you, you talk a lot about mentorship and the importance of mentorship um, who were your mentors? Good question. Good question. Um, I'll tell you, one of the, uh, one of the values of, uh, and I spoke at, uh, I was emceeing the Family Enterprise uh, or, uh, Awards, and, uh, and we spoke about that that night in terms of one of the unique aspects of being in a family business is you get a chance to spend time in a business context with your family. And one of my biggest mentors throughout my life was my father, for sure, uh, in terms of how he did things and how he treated people and how he viewed the world. Um, but at the, you know, throughout my career, um, I had 17 chairs that I worked with, men and women, all different. 
uh, and I would consider them to be, I always thought that this was my university going through because I learned so much, but they were really my mentors because I observed how they did things and I picked up on, on, on those differences. And that was also very much a gift is having this really unique relationship with my chairs because we really were in it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I consider them uh, some of my biggest mentors. But the other mentor um, over 17 years is I got to know your father. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and observing how he did things. And that, he's a big reason why I came to Johnson Group is because I just respected his values and how he treated people uh, and how he ran the business, actually. And so, uh, so he is definitely in that group of people that have had an influence on me. Thank you for that. Um, I, one of the, it just that, that leads to something that I'm, I'm curious about. You're, you're 17 years at the chamber. It's just, it's this, I, I can only imagine how dynamic uh, the role of president CEO of the chamber and all the things coming at you. Like it just, it, it's, you, you walk in the chamber office any day and it just like, it just, it almost feels like a newsroom. There's so much going on that you guys have so much going on. There. Yeah. Um, how, how did you, how, how, how did you go from the chamber to, to Johnston group and why at this point in, in your career? Well, I was, I was ready to go after 17 years. And, and one of the things that's uh, important is you have to know when to leave. Um, and some people struggle with that. They stay too long. And I had some leaders coming up that couldn't lead with me there. It just was, wasn't possible, right? Um, uh, because they just didn't feel comfortable leading. And so it was time for me to step aside to let them shine. And, uh, and they have. Lauren Remillard has done an amazing job with the Winnipeg Chamber. Alana Odegaard, the executive vice president, is doing an amazing job as well. Uh, and the whole staff is doing fantastic. But they, those two in particular are ready to, to lead the organization. And they've done a great job. So it was time to go. Um, and again, I'm, I'm a, a, a go-with-the-wind kind of guy. Remember that? Go-with-the-wind kind of guy. And the wind was blowing through David Johnson <laughs> in terms of uh, looking at whether it would be possible for me to come over to Johnson Group because I had experience with the company being on the board of the Chamber Insurance Corporation. Uh, and I knew David and he knew me. And I think there was, uh, you know, so we had a year and a half kind of this, uh, this long kind of dating process, I think, uh, where we're kind of doing the sniff test on each other, right? <laughs> do, do I want to go uh, work with David? Uh, does David want uh, me to me to come over? It's a tough visual, you guys doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it was a year and a half, so we kept coming back at it. And we had no idea whether this thing was going to happen or not, but it just at some point in time, it just felt right on both sides. Uh, and I think part of it was that um, because I was so involved in the community, and so was your father, uh, and so is the company, that keeping that anchor of connection to community was important to your, your dad. And I think having me come over with that commitment, I think, uh, I hope anyway, brings comfort to him that uh, that culture and that commitment back to community will, will certainly uh, continue. And the reality is he didn't need me to do that because I've met all the staff and they are all in in terms of the role Johnson Group plays within the community of Winnipeg. Well, I, I, we are so lucky to have you. And I, and I, I, I just I remember uh, hearing about that time. And there, um, in his mind, there was, there, was, there was one person that I, that I want to, to move into this, this role. This, and 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 it was sort of similar similar uh he had a similar way of describing it i'm i'm 
I'm, I'm, I'm working hard to, 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 to bring him over. And what I'm, so I guess what I'm, um, what I'm hearing and, and I, and I noticed from him as well is that there's this sort of, you're very clear on, on, on purpose and who the match is. And so for him, there was no doubt that you were the match and, and it was, it sounds like it was, it was the connection to purpose that, that was an alignment at Johnston group. I hear, I, I have hundreds of conversations as I sort of have done roundtables across the country and interviews with different people, um, especially young people that are um, trying to navigate that same question, but earlier in their career. Um, they're purpose-driven. They want meaning in their life and their careers. I guess um, the best way to maybe ask you this question is, what advice would you give to your 30-year-old self um, now being, you know, you've, you've sort of led, led this purpose-driven career and knowing that this is, um, yeah, what would you go back and tell Dave Angus at 30? I tell Dave Angus at 30 that he should uh, <clears throat> spend a lot of time with Dave Angus at 58 to inform him about the kind of workplace that would uh, get the most out of me at 30. And I think that interaction is very important. There's a, there's kind of a cross-mentorship dynamic in good companies where uh, uh, young people will get mentored by more experienced people within the company, but good companies also get mentored by the young people coming in about the changing dynamics because it's not just about attracting employees, it's also about this marketplace that's also changing uh, with, as young people get more and more uh, income to spend. So... Um, that's what I would tell them. That relationship is, is going to be critical going forward because that 30-year-old needs to inform how the workplace needs to change. And the workplaces do need to change. Uh, we need to, to kind of take a different view at how workplaces function. And whether it is attracting millennials, attracting Gen Zs, which are now in high school and university right now, so that's the next evolution, and they are different than millennials, whether it's, whether it's allowing uh, a workplace to allow women to uh, pursue careers and advance through careers. We need more women around uh, C-suites. We need more women around board tables. So what are those barriers? And make sure we're designing workplaces around that. You know, I, I was reading uh, some books. I'm speaking at a conference, uh, a women's conference. And so I was doing some reading on it. And one of the comments that came out of it is that it seems that we design workplaces and jobs like families don't exist. Well, families do exist. And when you have an employee, it's not just the employee. It's all those influences around them that is now in your workplace that you need to take care of, that you need to be concerned with. The, all the issues that they face outside of work, um, how can workplaces be designed in order to be a resource and a support for those? Um, you know, that's why your project, I think, is so important is because I think uh, in, uh, I think uh, managers and leaders need to look viewed differently in terms of how we are organizing work and workplaces in order to provide that more human experience. And so um, whether it's women, whether it's um, uh, whether it's indigenous people and indigenous youth in particular, whether it's uh, new Canadians, whether it's disabled what you know, all groups and the inclusion of all people within workplaces today is going to take, I think, a different view of how we organize ourselves. And I think things are happening, but I think the core fundamental piece comes back to purpose as well in all of those different regards. People want to make a difference in their companies, want to make a difference in their communities. 
And let's make sure that we're not creating workplaces that create significant barriers for them to do exactly that. Mm, you're here. That's uh... So it's time to lead the change. I think uh, it'd be great to have ongoing discussions about how workplaces have to change. And uh, we'll see where it goes. You bef- Before we jumped on, you talked about... Um... You, you talked about noticing that there is there is this tipping point in terms of you, you've seen um, uh, this focus on purpose and, and change in the workplace. Can you speak to that? Yeah, it gets, uh, it's fascinating when you look back at, at what triggers change. Um, and, I, and I remember when we did their bold initiative, it was, you know, can we get it to a point where, you know, it, we stop talking about should we do it and we start talking about how are we going to do it? And, and there's a lot of those examples. When it comes to the purpose thing, I think there was a real milestone moment. And it was the, uh, it was the TED Talk of Simon Sinek that got broad distribution internationally. I had people sending it to me at the time, um, talking about start with why. I think that was a trigger for change. And so, uh, and I'm sure when Simon Sinek did the TED Talk, I'm sure he didn't even imagine where this thing was going to go. But, but it just resonated. It connected and people started to mobilize because they had something to mobilize around. And so um, when you look at those things, you know, and I would say the same on the environment with uh, Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth movie, which really was a lecture. Uh, I think that it had a huge impact because it had broad distribution, it had a huge impact on how people viewed their role when it comes to the environment and a sense of urgency. And so there's these sort of milestone moments uh, around these particular issues that I think have huge impact. And I think we should think about that. You know, when we look at what change has to happen, I know I'm sitting around the Winnipeg poverty reduction table, and poverty is a huge issue in well, almost every major metropolitan center and others. Um, what's that milestone moment that'll start be the tipping point to address poverty and homelessness? Um, truth and reconciliation. Milestone report, calls to action. I reflect on that report. That is the tipping point. That is the turning point. We are now not talking about should we understand and embrace Indigenous history and culture and understand what they've gone through. It is a call to action and things are starting to mobilize. And I think we'll point back to that report as that tipping point on truth and reconciliation in this country. So we need those milestones and we need to create them. And, uh, and there's been great examples throughout history on, on how those moments have really changed things. I think this, this leads to something that I've, I've, I've always wanted to ask you, and you've, you've mentioned it in, in passing a few times, um, the importance of communication. And I think when, I, when, you, when you touched on each one of those, those moments, it was the ability to speak to or communicate or tell a story around the change that you, that you want to see. You are... You might be the best communicator I've ever, I've ever, <laughs> I've ever seen in person. You got to get out over more. and over again. I clearly need to get. Out. <laughs> um, uh, but your ability to 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 grab a microphone or to stand sit in a meeting or get on a podcast and express what you believe in and um, what's important to you and 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 uh, do it in a in a way that just draws people in. It's just it's 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 seems like a gift. So. Well, I, I know, you know, I've looked at a lot of different speakers, and I think the most important uh, element to effective speaking is authenticity, because there's been, there's a lot of different styles uh, that can all be very effective, but it all comes back to being authentic. Like when you speak, you really need to 
uh, speak from a place that is real, right? And because people will pick up if you really don't believe in what you're saying. So I think the authenticity piece is important. But I, you know, when I talk to that 30-year-old or I talk to the, the high school student, uh, communication skills is, is a huge enabler in today's world, particularly if you want to affect change. And I'm not sure we're serving them well when it comes to developing communication skills in all kinds of different uh, contexts. And so I think that is, is an important skill, maybe the most important skill, particularly if you want to make a difference. Uh, is your ability to communicate, to mobilize, to to bring people on side, to get people excited, to 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 inspire, um, and I think that when we talk about empowering the next generation, I'd really like to see more work done on how we can enable better communication. In in particular, are there any uh, are there any skills that that um, that people can dig into? What like what would you tell that thirty year old or that? Um, or that, that high school student, there's the authenticity piece, speaking from the heart. I mean, yeah, one of the things, uh, just on the, on, the, on the skill piece, because it is about empowerment, right? Like, how do we empower the next generation? And I know that uh, my son started a company called HP Change, and so he's been working with high school kids. And so part of it is uh, come forward with your ideas. Give him a platform to come forward with ideas. And he's done a few sessions where they've sort of laid out the idea. And now it's about, okay, well, you got an idea, but ideas are a dime a dozen. How do you navigate that idea to, to, for it to happen? And what's the skill sets that you require? Um, fundamental is communication skills. Um, networking skills and building a network and a coalition around, the, around it. Um, being able to identify uh, similar projects that might align with yours that you can kind of bring together. Being open to changing your idea because you're informing it. There's all these sort of, just on that alone, in terms of being able to make a difference and taking an idea to fruition, uh, there's all kinds of skills that I, I, I'd love to see us work with the next generation on because the ideas are phenomenal. Like they really are, right? But they're ill-equipped right now to be able to actually um, push them to fruition. So let's bring them those resources. Let's empower them to do that. And uh, so it's, it's been interesting working with Scott on that project because you start thinking about and looking at how did this happen? How did this change happen? And what were the things that led to that? And let's learn from that and let's empower those, those, that next generation that have these amazing ideas and really are going to be responsible for fixing all the ills that my generation actually inflicted on the planet. Um, let's empower them to be able to make that change and give them the tools to do so. Mm. That's Fantastic. Um, well, let's wrap it up right right away here. I've uh, I've keep keeping an eye on time here. Um, but before we do, I've um, I've heard you, you you mentioned the future earlier, and you're um, uh, that you're optimistic. I believe you've said, and I've 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 seen you speak to this in the past. But what does excite you about the future? Uh, well, I'll be honest with you. in the chamber. My favorite program, much to the chagrin of people that ran other programs, was our high school program. And um, you know, when we talk about the reverse mentorship, uh, I saw that with me dealing with these high school kids. Uh, I was blown away by their inspiration, by their motivation, um, and their enthusiasm, actually. So that program 
um, I embraced because it's what gave me hope. Because I saw this, this value set that is, I think, so critically important going forward. This respect for environment, this, this social cause aspect of how they do things, this higher purpose and wanting to make a difference and, and wanting to do things that are meaningful. I just saw this huge opportunity. And that's why I'm so passionate about this empowerment piece, because if we can empower them to be able to make the kinds of difference they're talking about, uh, we have nothing to worry about. And so it, more than anything else, any other engagement, and it was all very inspiring, it was really the engagement with the next generation that gave me that kind of hope and optimism going forward. And I'm still very optimistic about where, where we're headed and what the potential is. And that's why I want to live as long as I can <laughs> to, uh, to be able to witness it and see what happens. Well, we need you to live as long as you can. <laughs> um, you, uh, you're, you are an inspiration, and I'm, I'm very fortunate to have you as a, uh, as a mentor and a friend and, uh, and, a, and, a, and a hell of a boss. Well, Matt, we we're fortunate to have you in Winnipeg. Thanks so much, Dave, and thank you for being our first podcast guest. My pleasure. To be continued. You bet. You bet.